Julia Vernon is an award-winning movie director-producer, and for over 30 years, she has produced a stunning array of critically acclaimed, full-length feature films. Now, some of her films include The Merchant of Venice, starring Al Pacino and Jeremy Irons, Two Jacks, starring Jacqueline Bissett and Danny Houston, and she's worked closely with other stars, including William Hurt, James Spader, and Jeff Daniels, just to name a few. Now, her films have been selected for many major film festivals, including Sundance and Toronto. And she's also received the La Femme Executive Achievement Award for her work in supporting female filmmakers and has served on the board of the British Academy of Film and Television Arts of the Los Angeles branch. But her social impact screenplay for the deaf community, Amy and Angel, has been selected at over 160 film festivals and has won 43 Best Screenplay Awards and two Best Female Writer Awards. She has also has an incredible passion to help change the world, which caused her to form her nonprofit, Artist for Change, where she produces, directs, and writes social impact films. Now, Julia's current film, Maya, raises awareness on key social issues such as the negative effects of domestic violence in the home, dangers of alcoholism, child abuse, and even child sex trafficking. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome award-winning movie producer, director, and screenwriter, Julia Verdon, and her film, Maya, to the show. Welcome back, Julia. Thank you very much for having me, Ward. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, I tell you what, I watched Maya, and it is a very powerful film, and it leaves no stone unturned when it comes to the many negative issues that plague one-parent families today. Which of these issues did you find the most disturbing? I, I think when I was talking to a lot of NGOs, you know, who work with um, runaway teens and teens who've survived um, trafficking, a lot of it come, a lot of them uh, were trafficked because of abuse going on in their homes, and that makes them vulnerable to traffickers. The problem is when there's abuse going on in the home, a the teen learns that that's what love looks like that love is like this kind of abusive push and pull, you know, violence, and then I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I love you, that that seems normal to them. And and often, the, the, the you know, the mother's abuser will also target them too. And that's why we end up with teens running away, or, or being vulnerable and getting recruited by a trafficker, as we see in the film. And so, I think the 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 more you know we collectively as a society can just keep our eye out for um situations where we see that going on or we hear you know through the walls that that's going on and and report it so that mother and that teen can get help and and you know get back into kind of a healthy way of being as it were well, what specific research did you do to understand how online predators and sex traffickers seek out their victims? Well, I, I actually did a lot of research for this film. I um, had one of the former um, trafficking detectives, you know, who works in the trafficking unit as a consultant on the project. And I went down to, to their offices. I met with a bunch of other detectives 
they talk with me a lot about you know, the different situations that they'd run across, common things that they'd found, you know, would would go on. I talked to DAs who'd, who'd ended up like prosecuting traffickers and working with survivors. And this is where I got the idea for the Stockholm aspect of the film, you know, whether the, the in our story, Maya gets attached to her trafficker. And so when she's rescued, she doesn't want to be rescued. She wants to stay with him because she has been um, so kind of like mesmerized, as it were, by him and been pushed down to such a point of low self-esteem that she she doesn't think she deserves anything better. And, and apparently this is a very common occurrence that goes on. I also talked to survivors who'd been trafficked about their experiences and, you know, why it had happened. And um, I, 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 and various NGOs working in the, the, the field. So this was a very carefully researched film. I also had a survivor consult as a consultant on the project too. Well, can you explain to everyone what Stockholm Syndrome is and why it's such a very powerful tactic used by traffickers? So, so what, what traffickers will do, they target vulnerable teens right now, you know, since the pandemic. And as we see in my story, you know, we used to be safe in our homes. You know, when I grew up, I was always told never talk to strangers, etc. But the, the problem we're dealing with now according to a lot of the detectives and people working in the field, is that these traffickers are targeting our teens through various online platforms, whether it be gaming platforms or um, social media platforms. And so they're, they're trained to kind of spot when a kid posts something or a teen posts something like, you know, life sucks at home or, or um, I hate my parents or, you know, the, the type of things teenagers do when they're in a fit of peak and then suddenly they're in there they befriend them and they say oh no what's going on you know do you want anything you want to talk about i had trouble when i was growing up or my parents used to do this too so they find ways to bond with them and make the the teenager think that this person that's approached them online has been through similar experiences and so sympathetic and someone they can talk to. They, there's a, what's called a grooming process where the trafficker slowly you know, gets more and more involved in their life, starts asking them about school, really takes an interest in them. And so they, they fill a gap. So they become that shoulder to cry on, that person to talk to about their struggles and their dreams and their desires. And then when the trust is built up to a certain point, they will then organize a meet. And usually at that first meet, they might take them to a nice restaurant or they and they might buy them a little gift, stop at a shop and buy them a little gift on the way home. And so they, they, they really go out of their way to make that teenager feel special and that she's important and loved. And they, they offer to be their protector against anything going on in the home. And so eventually, when enough trust is built up, as we see in Maya, the, the, the trafficker 
you know, keeps telling her that she should leave home and your parents shouldn't be doing this to you and this is terrible. Your mother should be taking care of you and not letting this happen. You shouldn't be having to look after her, et cetera, et cetera. And so when one day the, the mother's boyfriend makes a move on Maya, Maya manages to escape, um, you know, just in time, but she calls this, this, this man who's befriended her and tells him what happens. And he's like, right, that's that. I'm picking you up now. Be ready with your things outside. She gets in the car with him and off they go to Vegas. And again, initially the honeymoon period. And then it's like, you know, I need you to do something for me to like help me out with my um, business. I need I need your help with this investor. Sometimes they'll, you know, give them some sort of like relaxant tablet so they become more compliant. And then they play this game of manipulation. So once they've trapped, the girl's been trafficked for the first time, the trafficker, who's kind of now posing as their boyfriend, goes, I can't believe you did that. You led him on. This is all your fault. But don't worry. I'll forgive you. You know, not many men would, but I will. And so it's it's this game of making the 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 girl feel like that she's nothing and without him she's nothing he she's he's the only person that she can depend on that everybody you know if her parents know what she did they'd be horrified or if her friends knew what a dirty girl she was they would never speak to her again they often have photos or some type of you know blackmail that they'll pull out too and it's this emotional push and pull and so the poor teenager is so browbeaten and demoralized that that this person is all they have so they end up clinging to to, to them for dear life and and they can't see how how much they're being abused and this is the tragedy of it you know there's a scene and it's where maya meets ray for the first time and the moment Maya sees him, she's like, you don't look like your photos on social media. And he gives an excuse because she was surprised how old he was. And because she's portraying Isabella, the actress is portraying a 16-year-old. She knows immediately that he is a lot older than he portrayed uh, to be. And... She has that moment in that scene where she wants to leave. You know, she knows this isn't right, but she mm -hmm. gets sucked in by Ray's charm. And then the whole uh, stream of events begins at that very point in time. And to me, when I saw that scene, I was like, ah, if teenagers would just when they get that that one feeling in their gut, this is wrong, walk away and never look back. Because if you step into that realm, life is either going to change, it's going to change for the bad, and it could change to the point to where, you know, a lot of these girls have lost their lives because of this. And I'm talking even physically, they've lost their life. Oh, absolutely, um, Ward. You know, for, for for a teen, it's a long road back. You know, if you're, you're rescued from trafficking, um, you know, survivors survive. 
and a lot of them have gone on to do very well but it, it you know it takes time it takes a lot of therapy you have to catch up often on your education and on various other things so that is why i think film can be such a powerful tool for education and i think film like nothing else can kind of imprint those memories in the heads of teenagers so you know my 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 hope is that when teens watch this film they will remember that moment with ray and so you know if they if they get into that situation they will listen to that gut feeling as as you said that goes walk away you know or if they see one of their their school friends as we see you know maya being picked up by ray from school and um you know getting a new bracelet and stuff like that um it, you know for, if you notice that going on with one of your school friends hopefully again you'll remember you know what you saw in the film and report it well the thing is that um which it amazes me and it shocks me at the same time. In our society, we have teenage girls and we see this on the news constantly where um, they meet someone online, they, they have a meet, they end up across state lines. These teenage girls especially need to realize if the guy is over the age of 18 and you're under 18, it's illegal. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't, I mean, literally do not even befriend anybody over the, I mean, a male over the age of 18, because now it is, you know, there's going to be jail time if he gets caught. And I think it needs to be a sign for a lot of teenage girls today that, you know, I know if, if a girl is 17 or 18 and, and, you know, she feels super popular because she's dating, dating a, a freshman or a sophomore in college. Uh, but still you got to be careful and you need to just look at some of the obvious signs. I mean, my gosh, Ray in this movie, he had to be at least 35 compared to her being 16. Now with, within your research, um, because I know that with this type of film, you could have had the choice to take this even darker. Um, because I've heard the stories. I've sat down and listened to some very dark stories to where teenage girls were not only sex trafficked, but, and, and it and it started out, like you said, starts out a little bit glamorous. You know, you're getting gifts, you're being taken to nice restaurants. But for some, it goes darker than what Maya actually experienced to where they find themselves in a room that they're literally physically chained to and they don't get out. And I, I, go ahead. Absolutely, um, Ward. That's a very good observation. And and I I think that the one of the challenges when you make a film about um, you know tough subjects like trafficking is is you 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 want to give the audience enough that it's shocking but not too much that it becomes unwatchable. Because before I made this movie, I did a lot of research on audience responses to other movies on the topic. And a lot of them said, you know, important subject matter, but it was just too gratuitous. I just couldn't watch it. No, I, I completely agree with that. And I love 
the way that you that you created the storyline in this film because you you brought forth every important element that parents and teens need to look out for and when i watched the film i was sitting there thinking this is a textbook lesson to help teens understand how sex traffickers work. You left no stone unturned. You, you put within the film the signs that parents and teens need to watch out for. And for you, are you planning to get this film to be shown in schools and universities? I I very much hope so. I mean, I my I you know when I developed this film, I made it as a social impact film. And my goal with it was you know, not to make a kind of a huge blockbuster, but to make a film that would really educate teens and parents on this issue and people working with teenagers, you know, hotel staff, you know, just the general communities, because I, I think people need, need to know about this. And I, I wanted to do it in a way that's exciting, thrilling, and engaging so it's presented as a suspenseful thriller but at the same time it's you know the beats the educational beats are all in there you know as you very acutely observed to to put across what teens and families need to know you know because i i my target audience are mothers and fathers watching it with their teenage daughters schools and colleges, community screenings, church group screenings, you know, that is where, what I want my film to be seen. You know, I, I did not want to make a film for the late night raincoat audience, as it were. So hence, there's no nudity in it, nothing over gratuitous. And it, it, it hits all the points home, but in a way that is palatable. Exactly. And and I will say, um, without going too dark, the film is very intense. And and I think what you did was you brought the audience in a mode of protection for Maya. Because when I was watching, I'm like, no, 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 don't 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 go with him. You know, because you're st- you're you're watching this film and you're like, oh, no, don't don't make that mistake. Um, and. I mean, it is so powerful, but what, what I loved, and, and it's the major point of this whole film, is like you said, you hit every point. And I would I would have even liked uh, to see a scene to where, the, you know, where Ray and Maya walked up to a hotel uh, check-in. Because how many concierges, how many hotel workers have seen things and never said anything. Well, we do have the scene in the in the in the end, and I, this is why I think it'll be great for train. This film would be great, you know, for people who work in hospitality to see where the concierge sees Maya walking in without checking in, right, and walking over to the elevator, and she sees Ray following behind her, and then she gives the nod to the security guard, and he follows her. I won't give up the rest away. No, no, no. You're that's right. That's right. And 
But like I said, you you covered every element here. Now, I want to ask you something about the film. And a lot of people may not notice this. But I noticed in the film that the changes of the environment that you placed Maya in. Most audience, like I said, may not even notice the small changes, but you used them very subconsciously to add realism and depth, but also where the environment, the home environment changes. Can you explain? Um, absolutely, because I wanted to show at the at the beginning of the film Maya's, you know, because because Maya's mother. As, uh, and and this is very common, you know, when when your husband deserts you as a woman, it hits your self esteem. You've you know you you feel often like I've spoken to a lot of women who've been left by their husbands, and and tragically, they they're thinking, what did I do wrong, right? When they the reality is they did nothing wrong. But but often because they've been in a that you know that husband might have been a little bit verbally abusive or whatever and always putting them down, they they feel they feel they did something wrong. So when they're left, you know they they're often in a lot of pain, and when people don't have other tools to deal with pain, they'll often turn to you know drugs, pills, alcohol as a way of numbing that pain. And that's what Maya's mother does. And then just as Maya needs her mother to be present and the love from the mother, the, the, the mother loves her daughter, but she also needs you know, companionship in her life and a man in her life. And so again, because she's vulnerable, she, um, is is it she gets in a relationship with with this guy who's a gambler who's abusive who's taking her money and not a good person and she believes you know like Maya does you know I don't deserve anything better I'm not going to get anything better so I've got to settle for him because I don't want to be lonely and that that you know that is the start of the tragedy and in a way, this film is also about the cycle of abuse, because when the mother finds her way into the healing, that's when she's finally really able to be a mother to Maya and really show up in the way that she's needed. And so at the, you know, towards the end of the film, again, without giving away too much, this, you know, when, when Maya is rescued, she is able, and the trafficker comes and tries and gets her back this time she's able to to do what she needs to do to protect her daughter and so that was a rather long-winded way of asking your question but well no because your- i even noticed the small elements like when so you know the, the, the mother's played by patricia velasquez and she plays a very very uh, strong part in this film and when she gets her life a bit straightened out, um, then she has the she starts showing confidence and courage, and even the small element in which she started cleaning her own home. And so you see, you see this parallel from the beginning of the film, and then towards uh, more than halfway that the home environment goes from disarray, 
messy to things in place and clean and bright. So it's those small little elements that played very important parts in this movie and along with the story. Absolutely, because you, you want to show the, the progression of the character, both in their in terms of the wardrobe, you know, like in the second half of the movie, when um, Camilla has got herself into recovery, she starts, you know, her hair looks nice. She's, you know, looking, taking care of herself. Her wardrobe changes. Her environment is now tidy and nice as opposed to the beginning, you know, where everything is a little bit haphazard, the whole apartment is messy and topsy-turvy. And, and we, we see the same with Maya, you know, Ray starts out with the like the nice hotels and the, you know, the glamour, the seduction period. And then as, 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 as the film progresses, we used a lot of the kind of like blue color for that, you know, the coldness of Ray's world as it, you know, we get more into the kind of like not so nice motels and- I noticed that. That arena. And we know I didn't go there in this film, but you know, the reality is when girls are trafficked, often they start at the higher end and then it goes down and down and down until, you know, they often they either end up dead if they're not rescued or they end up like on drugs, um, you know, what they call the worst place to be trafficked is on the tracks or in truck stops or you know in that type of environment where you're really at the low end of the barrel and girls often get beaten up and you know have really bad things happen to them yeah there was a scene where maya's light bulb went off so her mother was already trying to save her um taking her taking her to a counselor Maya blows off the whole thing because she's still waiting on Ray to come back and and get her. And then when it happens again, and then that scene in the house where Maya meets uh, the girl in the pink dress and her very words and with what she says and Maya looks at her and, it, and it's almost the, the light bulb goes off and I think right then and there, she realizes she's been had. She's been lied to. The whole thing was a setup. And now she wants to get out. And it's yeah. a powerful scene. Because even when I sat there and I was watching, I was like, oh, now she finally gets it. And then that's when everything starts to change. Yeah, abs abs absolutely. Because the, the, the girl tells her, that it, it, you know, it's, it's exactly the story that Ray told her. And so she realizes that she's been had. And so, you know, we see earlier, you know, her mother telling her he was bad, the therapist, the other girl in the shelter. Um, I love that scene with the, with, the, with, the, with the two girls in the shelter with the young girl who's, who's pregnant with her trafficker's baby. You know, which when I was volunteering at a runaway children's shelter a long time ago, I, I, I met, you know, a lot of the girls who'd run away from home had been trafficked and a couple of them were pregnant. And I remember one of them was literally having her trafficker's baby. And she told me she'd had to think very hard about it, but she decided that she wanted to keep it because she wanted to have something that was that was hers, you know. And 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 the, the 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 shelter would give girls dolls 
to hold to, and, and almost like as a kind of like practice for what it's like to hold a baby. So I, that, that's why I have the scene in the shelter where the Rochelle character is, is cradling, walking around cradling this doll. And when Maya tells her, you know, that her boyfriend's coming to get her, you know, she confronts her on it and says, you know, you, you get real girl, you know, he's not your boyfriend. And, and Maya just doesn't want to hear it at that point. Well, you know, in that scene in the house, and, and, I, and I love the way you set it up, because Maya comes back to Ray, but Maya's just wearing like an old t-shirt, literally looks like he picked her up off the street. They go into this house, and then here's the other girl. She's all dressed up, um, makeup on, and to me, that was the element to where that girl looks at Maya because she'd never seen Maya before. So she doesn't know that Maya's already gone through the whole courting process and grooming process, so to speak, with Ray. She judges Maya with exactly what she's wearing. And in a way, she brags to Maya what Ray told her. She repeats it word for word. And Maya just looks at her like, oh, Okay, I got told the same thing. And but I thought the way that you had them dressed set that scene off because the blonde girl had no idea that Maya had been in this situation for quite a while now. And so she's in a way bragging. And she's bragging about her trafficker trafficker which I thought was wow, you bring that element forward and then the then the ball just starts rolling from there. Um, uh, thank you. That, that that's one of my favorite scenes in the in the in the film, and and I I wanted Maya to look out of place in that scene because I I wanted the audience to be rooting for her to like you know, come up, wake up, you know, have that realization because she she at that point she doesn't be, belong in that world anymore. You know, she's just starting to get into recovery, just starting to get her faith back. Um, getting on with her mother again and but again you know ray almost tricks her into getting with the car into the car with like you know that threatening well you know if you don't i'm 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 going to kill myself because it was all a lie it's that guilt you know and it's it's that's what these people do it's the it's the gaslighting and the and the guilt and the manipulation and the, the the problem is Maya's fundamentally a, a good person, you know, and it's it's as good people in life, we all have to kind of like wise up so we don't. Well, when you so. talk to people, let me ask you this, Julia, because when you had when you were researching and you were talking to different people and, and talking to possibly young women that were trafficked. Did they ever say with the feeling of, I couldn't believe that I was that stupid? I I think it's, it's it, you know, when you look back, when they look back, I've had many survivors say to me, when I look back on a situation, it seems insane that I let that happen. But the, the problem is when you're in a situation where you're very broken and you're vulnerable and your spirits are just down, right? It, it's hard to see it. And, and in talking to 
um, one of the DAs who, who has to prosecute a lot of traffickers, he often has a lot of problems going after the traffickers because the girls don't want to testify or are not willing to testify either because they're scared or because they are so down on themselves and their self-worth is at such a low point they don't believe that they deserve better. And, and in my mind, that is heartbreaking. And, and you know, this, this DA said to me, you know, Julia, it's heartbreaking. You see these, these you know, beautiful young people and their self-esteem is at this like low point and we just want to get them out of it. But it often takes, you know, time therapy, um, you know, working with, I think from what I've seen is refinding faith is, 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 a, is a big important factor in, in um, recovery. Most of the survivors I've talked to said it was, you know, for them, the turning point was when they really refound their faith. And a lot of them like had a lot of help from church groups in, in um, their recovery journey. I believe that because they need something much stronger than themselves to believe in. And faith is really the strongest healer, not just from the physical standpoint, but from the emotional standpoint, the mm -hmm. spiritual standpoint, and to, re and, and to help them realize they are worthy. They are valuable, you know, and and I and I really really wish that in in America that schools would actually have a class to where they they talk to these young people and to let them know regardless what their home life is like that they are valuable you know they are worthy they are able to do anything that they set their mind to to do and to build up their self esteem. So when they know their self-worth and their self-value, many times they're not going to get caught up into situations like this. And then that way, there's a, that way even the school plays a part in helping them to, you know, have a shield and a sword in their hand to, to fight, off of, fight off these things that enter their lives. You know, a lot of teenagers need to stop playing around on social media. Because that's that's really the um, that that's one of the major platforms these traffickers use, like you said earlier. But I got to ask you something about this cast about the casting process for this movie because I know that Patricia Velasquez she can handle <laughs> this type of strong content. But in the casting process, which character was the toughest to cast? I think finding the right actress for Maya was was hard because I needed somebody who was a really strong actress, who was fearless, but but you know had the strength to to be able to go to some of those dark places, and and I could, would really be able to kind of like you know play that internal and and I I auditioned a, an enormous amount of actors for the role of Maya. And funnily enough, um, Isabella, when Isabella auditioned, we had her on our callback list. 
And when it came to time for callbacks and we were told she wasn't available. So we did all our callbacks. There was one girl who was pretty good. Um, but I, 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 I kind of somehow knew, and I can't explain what it was, but I somehow knew in my gut, I hadn't found Maya. And so I said to, to Laura, who works with me, Laura, let me go, let's go through those audition tapes. I, I just don't, I think the person that we've got is good, but I just don't, I'm not feeling it. There's gotta be someone else. Let's go a little deeper. And so we looked at the tapes and I found Isabella's and I said, I, you know, I really like her. She's really good. What, 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 why didn't she come in for the callback? And they said, well, she was unavailable. So I called her manager and it turned out there were two days that she couldn't make it because she was graduating from college. And so I said, listen, can we have her come in for a callback? And if I feel that she's right after the callback, I'll work around those dates. And I did some improvisation with her when she came for the callback. And funnily enough, Patricia came in halfway through the audition. And then when we finished, Patricia, she was really good. Patricia and I just looked at each other and we knew we'd found Maya. And so on one of the days of shooting, she went off like after shooting in the morning, she went to her graduation, came back in the evening. We had a little on set celebration for her after her celebration with her parents and we made it all work. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I found a way to make it work because she was amazing. She really was. Well, how did you prepare the younger actors like Isabella um, about this subject matter? I, I had them um, watch some of the interviews that, that I, that I'd shot. I talked to them about the research that, that I had done. And I, I also talked to them about the importance of, of you know, when, when we leave set, we've got to find ways for you to let this go because we, we have to kind of protect you emotionally too, because these are dark places. So every time, you know, when we finished a take, I would always ask her, you know, Isabella, are you okay? You know, there'd be like a lot of hugs and, you know, we all mothered her and looked after her. And even though it, the, subject matter was very dark that we were making. I made a point to keep everything very light and fun on set. So, so, you know, nobody gets stuck. And every night before Isabella left set, I would always make a point to kind of like talk to her. We'd make a couple of jokes and make like, so she was, she went home feeling uplifted, not carrying the heaviness with her as it were and 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 you know I, th I think that's important i, I, was, I, I yeah because i was i was wondering about that because i've heard actors who portray very um this not technically disturbing maybe the situations are disturbing but the characters enter a dark environment a dark situation and with young actors like isabella i was wondering what did you do to help them make that transition from the film back to real life and not carry that heaviness? And you explained it perfectly. Sometimes we'd have dancing on set. We'd play music and we'd dance and we'd shake and, you know, we'd, 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 we'd do kind of like various things to like shake off the, the, like negative energy and get back into the into the light. And I always I always like to start every day 
you know, with with everyone standing in a circle, we do our safety um, issue, a safety lecture, and then do like a little prayer, you know, for everybody's well-being throughout the day too. I love that. Now, what have the audiences been saying about your film? Well, we got, um, so far, we've had a fantastic response. It, it hasn't come out yet. It's coming out in um, on January the 26th. But we played at a few festivals and, and really, really positive response. People have been very emotionally impacted by the film. And we got a social impact award at the Raindance Film Festival. I just got another award of excellence from another film festival. So really thrilled at that. But, you know, really all those awards, they all belong to those who've survived trafficking, who've shared their stories with me. To, so, so I can make this film to, to help hopefully prevent other teens from having to go through the horrific abuses that 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 happen when you get trafficked I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone no and I've heard I've heard stories so dark that I I can even barely repeat them and it is unfortunately an element in our world today um, I think a lot more people know about it but I think more people need to start being a little bit more in tune to their surroundings and and paying attention to people around them, uh, you know, if you see a young girl and you see a guy that's slightly older or out of place, sometimes you may need to say something just for the safety. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. But in the end, you know, I'd rather have someone say something than not say anything at all. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, Maya, this is a very powerful film that every parent, every grandparent, every young preteen and young, and teenager and even college age students need to see this film and not just teen girls you know guys need to see this film as well because it's just important uh, overall for all of us in a society that we do need to look out for one another and there are people who are vulnerable and there are people who take advantage of these people and we just need to have our eyes opened we need to have our ears opened and Julia, I want to see, I want to see this film reach millions of people uh, because you have this is one social impact film that can make a huge difference. Thank you so much, um, Ward. Well, I, I hope on January the twenty sixth, everybody will go see it. It'll be in in certain cinemas and also on online platforms at the same time. And um, for, for, for parents, you know, when your teens see the, this film, they will certainly understand why you want them to check in with you and let them know where, where, where um, let you know where they are and um, keep their phones on at, at, at all times. So um, I know on previous films that we've made, I've had lots of letters from parents going, Thank you. Watching this film with my teenager was a really bonding experience for us. <laughs> well, I, I know that uh, you have been working on a film that's coming out in the spring of 2024, No Address. Uh, where are you at with that film? Because this is a film that also highlights the homelessness crisis that we have in America. 
Um, we are currently in in um, post production. We're shooting a couple of pickup shots in in January, and then after that, we will continue editing, getting it finished, and um, look forward to sharing that with everybody too. It's it, that's also a really powerful piece, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's a very uh, powerful uh, film, ladies and gentlemen. And I will tell you this right now, and you've heard it here first. We actually have, coming in the spring of 2024, the No Address Week with people like Julia, and we have others coming on uh, for a whole week talking about the homeless crisis in America. You're going to hear from one of the top experts in the country on homelessness, as well as uh, Patricia Velasquez, the actress who plays in No Address. Uh, we'll be having uh, Billy Baldwin, Xana Berkeley, uh, and others coming on to talk about their experiences with this film, No Address, and what it means to them. Uh, anything else new that you're working on next year, Julia? Um, I'm going to be making a film about the opioid crisis. That's what I'm currently doing um, research on and, and something that I think much needed. You know, fentanyl is a, a huge problem out there right now. So that will be that will be that will be next. And then of course I have um Amy and Angel that looks like we're going to shoot that in um 2025, um, about a young um girl and a dancing dog. Well, I can't wait for all of those because you're going to have to come back and uh, talk about those films as well. I will look forward to it. It's always a pleasure to be on, on your show, Ward, and great to chat with you. And thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely, Julia. And ladies and gentlemen, the film Maya, written, directed, and produced by Julia Vernon, is a stark social impact film engaging with the dangers of online grooming and sexual exploitation. Now, if you are trapped in the world of human trafficking or know someone who is, call the Human Trafficking Hotline. The number is on your screen at 1-888-373-7888 or call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. And remember, there is help for you and there's help for your friends and loved ones as well. Thank you again, Julia, for coming back on the show to share this very powerful and timely film, Maya, with us today. And uh, of course, we, we're all going to be looking forward to the new uh, No Address film as well. And again, ladies and gentlemen, you can catch all the replays of our interviews with the top film directors, producers, screenwriters, and actors. Uh, more on, well, I have two YouTube channels, the Dr. Ward Bond Show, as well as the brand new channel, Bond on Cinema. So we are available on a dozen audio platforms as well. So if you can't watch, but you can listen, we've, uh, we've taken care of that as well. So again, thank you for watching and listening. And keep in mind, if you see something, say something. You could be saving a life. We'll see you next time.